We'll open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It is so good to see you all here. We are in the middle of our series on spiritual gifts. And uh, I'm excited to continue. Now, I know that you all took your tests last week. And if you didn't uh, get one of those tests, they're available on the tables in the back. And it'll help you to know what your spiritual gifts are. And how many of you had... I know that a bunch of you um, had uh, written down the gift of prophecy as your highest. How many of you had one that was very close to that? It was very close to that. Um, after today, you will probably find that you will lean more on that second one than this first one. We're going to teach on the gift of prophecy today. And I think that uh, I think it will be enlightening when you see what it's about. But the gifts that are identified in Romans chapter 12, let's look at it. In verse 6, it says... Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So I want you to think about how these different uh, gifts would work in a family where all the gifts were represented and somebody spilled their bowl of ice cream at the end of the service or at the end of the meal. All right? So mercy would say, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anybody. Prophecy says, that's what happens when you're not careful. <laughs> Ministry says, let me help you clean it up. Teaching says, the reason it fell is because it was too heavy on one side. Ruling says, or exhortation says, next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. The giver says, I'll be happy to buy you a new dessert. And then the ruler says, uh, Jim, could you get the mop? Sue, pick it up. Mary, help me fix another dessert. <laughs> so that's the way that all of those different gifts would function if it, they were all there in a family and uh, um, you, had a, you had an accident. What is this subject of gifts? What are, what are we going to learn from it? What is the goal here? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? What is, what is the purpose of these spiritual gifts, and I think that's a good place to start. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. As you're turning there to 1 Peter chapter 4, let me say this. There have been several questions that have been asked about this subject, and I want to deal with those just by way of introduction. Um, number one, the question is asked, did Jesus have all of the spiritual gifts? Did Jesus have all of the spiritual gifts? Yes. So hold your place in 1 Peter and go to John chapter 3, verse 34. John 3. So the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says about Christ. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Him. Here in a little while, we'll look at the measure of the gifts that He gives us. But to Jesus, there's not a measure of gifts. He has all of it. Jesus Christ was perfect in mercy, perfect in prophecy, perfect in ministry, perfect in ruling, perfect in exhortation. He was perfect in all of these areas. Isn't that wonderful? So what is our goal? Our goal is Christ-likeness. 
And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 is all about, that we're all going to grow up into Him, unto the perfect man, like unto the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's where we're supposed to try to... That's our goal. Anybody here accomplished it yet? No? How many of you... That is your sincere desire to be like Christ. That's the process of discipleship, of sanctification. That's what we're all supposed to try and accomplish. So, number one, yes, Jesus Christ had all of the gifts. Number two, the Bible says in... in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. So here's the idea. You you all were not surprised that my measure of mercy was very low. But here's what I... As I was taking the test, there would be a a question about mercy. And of course, I knew that it was about mercy. When you've studied the subject, you know pretty much what they are. I knew it was about mercy. And here was my thought. I wish I had that. Do you desire this? Is this what you think? And my reaction in several of those, I wish I did. How many of you felt the same way? I wish that I had that. What is that? You're desiring the spiritual gift. So here's the thing that's very important. While my personal giftedness from God, and and remember, we're going to see this in a minute. There's nothing to be proud of. God gives the gifts, right? Well, my perfect personal would be prophecy, teaching, exhortation, that type of thing. Um, does that excuse me? from mercy. Am I still supposed to show compassion? Am I still supposed to behave in a merciful way? You know, somebody falls down. I say, see what happens when you're running in the hallway? Is is that what you're supposed to do? No, 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 no. See, a lack of a spiritual gift does not excuse bad behavior. Amen? So the flip side of that is the person with mercy who refuses to speak up when something needs to be said, uh, you with mercy will still stand before Christ and give an account for failing to take a stand for Him, just as the person with prophecy will stand and give an account for failing to show mercy where it was necessary. Is that fair? So that's what we have to remember in all of this. Desire spiritual gifts. Be like Christ. And, you know, the old thing, what would Jesus do? I don't like that. It's what did Jesus do when he was here on earth doing things? That would be a very large bracelet. But that, that's the way that we're supposed to function. Amen? And so I'm supposed to be like Christ. It, that has nothing to do with my giftedness. The idea, though, is God provides all of those things to the church. Do you all agree with that? And so there are people who have the gift of mercy that God gives to the church to teach those of us who don't have that gift how to behave. And he gives prophets and teachers to the church to show those who don't have those gifts how to behave. It's not that the people who have those gifts are the only ones to practice those in the church. It's so that the people who have the gift of mercy can teach those who don't have the gift of mercy how to be merciful. Isn't that wonderful? And we really do learn by watching. Like old Bob Jones Sr. used to say, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. We all learn by observation. Um, I'll walk by a mirror now that I'm, I'm, I'm getting aged. I'll walk by a mirror and I'll look at it and I'll have my dad's expression on my face. Now, did I try to do that? No, 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 no. I, I watched my dad. Um, my dad would stand against his workbench thinking, and his hands would be like this. His, he wouldn't hold it like this. His hands would be like this. I do that. 
I'll stand and my, I'll notice my hands hurting. And I look down, it's because it's backwards, dummy. <laughs> you know? Um, it's, we, we all do these things that we learned by observation. Um, that's why you're here. You're here to be observed. You're here to provide something to the body that, that we wouldn't have if you weren't here. Amen? And so here's the thing that I want you to understand. Everybody in this room is necessary. There's no superfluous people. We don't have an overabundance of gifts in this room. We have exactly what God wants us to have. So if you're here, your gift is necessary to this work. Amen? So those are the things that I wanted you to understand. Yes, Jesus had all of the gifts. Yes, we are supposed to, to um, desire these other gifts. And then the third is you can grow in spiritual gifts that you do not have. And I think um, all of us who took these tests years and years ago, we've taken them again and we find that we've changed. We've grown. We've grown. What's interesting is when you see yourself actually losing some ground in certain areas. That's not good. That's not, but it happens with all of us, doesn't it? And so you can grow. All of us can learn to be uh, more of a prophet. All of us can learn to be more merciful. All of us can learn to be a better giver. All, all of those things, they're all things that we need to learn, and those are provided for us in the body. Isn't that helpful? That's very helpful. All right? Now, let's... Um, so the purpose of spiritual gifts. We're at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever Amen. Okay, so what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? To give glory to God. It's to give glory to God. It's not to give glory to us. It's to get. I'm more merciful than anyone else in the church. That, I felt like Dave McCracken right there. Didn't that look like... That was a Dave McCracken thing right there. If you don't know who... He was the pastor that I worked for. Um, anyway, it's very important that we understand this. The whole purpose of spiritual gifts is to bring glory to God. Not to bring glory to us. Is to bring glory to God. The second, how do we do that? By speaking and ministering. So the reason that God gives you gifts is to speak and to minister. That's what we're supposed to do. So uh, I, I, I do not see in the Bible the gift of sitting. What's your gift? I have the gift of being there. Now, we're glad that you're here, but you're here for a purpose. I remember I was listening to a, a pastor from Kansas City. We learned some of our discipleship stuff from Jeff Adams. And he said um, they, were in the, they needed to build. They didn't have any room. He said, look, if you're coming to this church, you're not here to minister. We don't need you. We don't have enough room as it is. And I was thinking, he must have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> It was one of the harshest statements I ever heard. But I agreed with the sentiment, right? We don't need leeches. We need servants. We need people to speak and to serve. Now, here's the key. And we also need to give people time to discover where they can speak and serve. 
Right? You don't have any idea where somebody is in their spiritual walk. I think they ought to be doing this. Well, I think you ought to be doing more than you are. <laughs> you know, that, that's not the way that we're supposed to behave as Christians, is it? No, no, no. We've got to give people room for God to work on them. Can, you know something? I'm not supposed to work on Derek. God is going to work on Derek. Right? Yeah. Amen. That's the way that it's supposed to be. So the, the, the whole purpose of these gifts is to bring glory to God, and we do that by speaking and by serving. That's what the Scriptures say. So it's to speak, to serve, and then to advance the cause of the New Testament church. The, the purpose of these gifts are to be used in the church. They're not so that you can make a lot of money outside of here. Now, praise God if you can make a lot of money on the outside of here. I'm not against that. I, I was at the barbershop yesterday. Y'all want to hear another barbershop story? I was at the barbershop yesterday, and um, one of the conversations that came up was the guy that had gotten suspended in Texas because he won 99 to 6. He got suspended for a game because his, t- his team scored 99 points. I said, the guy whose team scored six should have been suspended. It's interesting. It's interesting. That thinking, that thinking. Do you know, whenever I hear somebody complain about running up the score, you know what I say? Then stop them. And the mercy people say, oh. Um, but that's a part of our society that's a dangerous thing. If somebody makes a lot of money, it's because they're evil. If somebody doesn't have a lot of money, it's because they're good. Really? You know what? There's good folks that don't have money, and there's good folks that do have money. Now, we understand scripturally there's nobody that's good, but remember God said that Barnabas was a good man, so it's okay to use that terminology. But there are people that are poor, don't have much, and they're good, they're good God-fearing people. There are people that do have a lot of money that are good and God-fearing people, and God gave all those people those gifts so he gets the glory. Amen? Don't, don't fall into that socialist, communist idea that if you're a part of the great mass that has nothing, then you're part of the good. And you've got to take from the people that don't. That's, that's wicked. God hates that kind of thinking. All right? So, in this conversation that we're having, we need to understand that the purpose of gifts is to advance the cause of the New Testament church. All right, so what is the purpose? So the first thing is, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Speaking and serving to bring glory to God in the New Testament church. Then, what is the purpose of the pastor in teaching this subject? Why would a pastor want to teach this subject to his congregation? Well, that's the Ephesians passage that we know very well, where it says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, here's the thing that's so important about the gifts. My job is not to make everyone do the same thing. Okay? Um, Who was I? Oh, Justin Hall, my brother-in-law, is going to preach for us here the the Sunday after Thanksgiving. All right? And so he said, anything that you want me to do? I said, don't sing. Because he's a horrible singer. Okay? Now, and all the mercy people said, uh, I feel bad for him too. He can't sing. Um, so, the, imagine 
if I said, I don't care what you sound like, you're going to sing. Well, that would be dumb. I know the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I understand that. Make that in your shower or whatever. We're not going to do it here. It makes my ears hurt. All right? So my job is not to make everybody do the same thing. My job is to help you do what you can. And then help you in the areas of ministry that you think you can't. Um, I know Jeff Blackford loves it when I say this. Um, Jeff, where are you? Back here somewhere. Um, when we did our first discipleship training, he wanted to be discipled. I believed he was ready to disciple someone, and he is one of our best disciplers. Okay, what was that? That's the exhorter, that's the gift of the, that the God gives the pastor to challenge people to do things they don't think they can when God says they can, right? All of us, how many of you, somebody has challenged you to do something that you didn't think that you could? You know what I always think of? I think of the football coach, and the first time, how many here played football? Raise your hand, you played football. How many of you remember the first time that you ran into a, a, a blocking sled, Right? And, of course, you've watched people use those things, and you know that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to hit that thing and then drive and just keep going and push that thing back. I remember the first time I ran into one of those things, it didn't move, I did. <laughs> right? Did anybody else experience that too? Right? So here it's really important. What does the coach say? Alter, get in there! You can do that thing! Get your lazy butt! Get that thing moving! Ah! Right? That's what the coach is doing. That's kind of... Don't say butt in church. You're not supposed to do that. Um, that's what the pastor is doing for the people with spiritual gifts. Um, one of the things that, one of the giftedness things that God requires in the church is somebody that can gauge talent. You can do this. You can do this. You're going to put you here. going to put you here. What is that? That's that gift of the ruler. Right? Then the exhorter comes along and says, I know you don't think you can, but you really can. You can do this. So it's really important that we understand that God has gifted us and we need to grow in these areas. And that's why we're teaching this subject. All right? Um, then, we need to make sure that we keep our giftedness in its proper place. And I, I told you I was going to talk about this, but go back to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. Now, I know most of the people in the room have these two verses memorized. Then we're going to go to the third verse. Look at what it says, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, look at this. Who are the people that are to be uh, exercise prophecy and giving and ministry and ruling and exhorting? Who are the people that are supposed to do that? Those who have presented their bodies a living sacrifice. We don't need worldly people trying to exercise those gifts. Is that fair? Okay. Then look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when you see that number 2, that, or that verse 2, when you see why, when you look at the order in which the gifts are given, you're going to see why God put the first one first. All right, now look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So the measure of faith, the measure of grace, the measure of giftedness, and the Bible uses measure for all three of those terms, it's all based on God. It's not based on us. So if you have the ability to speak, that comes from God. Let me give you an example. I, um, when I was in Bible college, we had, uh, I took a speech class. And there were two or three hundred people in this class. Everybody had to take it. And I was a lousy student. At that point in my life, I was fighting the call to preach. I, I was just in school to play sports and date. Uh, I, I was not interested in getting an education. All right? Again, Derek, don't do that. Um, but that's where I was in my life. And so I'm in this, this speech class, and the teacher, and this girl said to me, she said, are you ready to give your speech? I said, what speech? She said, your speech is due today. I said, what speech? What's it on? And she said, well, it can be on any subject, but you have to have an outline, three points, illustrations, uh, and so you're supposed to have your speech. Literally, as soon as she said that, teacher walked up, said, Mr. Alter, come give your speech. So I walked up there, I gave a speech, I wrote an outline with three points, gave illustrations, went and sat down. And this girl looked at me, I got an A, the girl looked at me and said, I hate you. <laughs> what is that? I can talk. You know when I was a salesman, the old saying, sell, a, sell ice to an Eskimo or sell you know, an anchor to a drowning man? Uh, I can talk. Now, is that, and I know that there are people out there saying, sure, tell stories to make yourself look good. No, no, we're talking about giftedness. My ability to speak is not because Jim Alter's cool. It's because God gave me the ability to speak. How many think that's fair? Right? God gave me, and others of you, God gave you the ability to speak. I think of um, uh, Chad Hollinger. You, you wouldn't believe what I go through in my mind. It's like a list. I've got to get there. But Chad Hollinger, he's just great at speaking in front of people. He's very good at that. That's giftedness that comes from God. So what are we supposed to do? That gift is supposed to be used for Him. Glory is not supposed to come to the person. The gift, that, that, that gift comes from the Father, and that, that's a wonderful thing for me. Now, here's the problem. The problem comes in when we become envious of each other's gifts. Okay? Paul Chapel. Some of you may know who he is. He pastors out in California, Lancaster Baptist Church, and they have West Coast Baptist College. He has the gift of, the, of, of a ruler, and we'll see what that is. He, his ability to administrate and organize and motivate people to do things, it's unbelievable. He's the kind of guy that would be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company if he was not a, a pastor. All right? Well, I'll go out there and I'll look at their buildings and their ministries and everything they have going on. And here's my spiritual gift. I stink. I just need to quit because I got to tell you something. I could try until I'm dead and I can't do what Paul Chapel can do. I, I am incapable. I can't make a list, let alone organize Okay, like he can. So it's really important that we understand this. It would be very easy, and it would be. I'm acting like some people may be envious of that. <laughs> no, no, I go out there and I say, God, why can't we do that in Ohio? 
How come we don't have all this? Why don't we have these cool buildings? Why don't we have all these cool ministries? What? This is where it's really important for us to understand this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see something. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I went to a fellowship meeting years ago when I worked for Dave McCracken, who I mentioned earlier. And if you haven't heard Dave McCracken preach, he is a uniquely gifted man. His ability to communicate, he's just one of the best probably in the world. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. It's just true. He's a uniquely gifted man. Um, And he preached on preaching. And one thing that I noticed, he preached the first night. Every other pastor apologized for their preaching after he preached. I think they missed the point. See, they, they missed the point. You're not supposed to compare yourself to the ability of somebody else. Let's see if the Bible says anything about that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Okay, so now that language can be difficult, so let me explain it to you. Look what he's saying. Look, we're not bragging about the measure that God gave us. But it would be stupid to say God didn't give us any measure. God gave us enough measure to get to you. The, the Apostle Paul and those with him had started the church at Corinth and given them the gospel. So God, he's saying, God gave me the ability to come and preach the gospel to you. Right? I'm not going to brag about that. God did that. But neither am I going to say that God didn't do that. You know, here's stuff that bothers me. Imagine if I stood up and said, oh... I know that I'm not able to speak to you. That would be dumb. God gave me an ability to speak. The the right way to say it is, thank you, Lord, for giving me the ability to speak. I'm giving that to you. See the difference? See the difference? Here here would be a worse thing to say. I know I'm a better preacher than most everybody else you know. Really? That's not true. That's, That's a wrong statement to make. The apostle saying it the right way. My ability to come to you, that comes from God. I'm not going to say God didn't give me the ability when he did because we're here doing this. Okay? Now, let's go on. Look at verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors. All right? So if I said I went and preached somewhere and the meeting was fantastic, and God used me to see 10 people saved. If I make that statement, I didn't bring those people. I didn't organize the meeting. I hadn't been working in those people's lives for all the time heading up to that meeting. The right thing to say is, hey, we had this meeting, and God saved 10 people. And God used the people who cleaned the building. God used the people who gave the money for the building to be there. God used the people who organized the crowd. God used the people who had witnessed to those people and had invited those people. You see what Paul is saying here? I'm not going to boast over someone else's labor. All right? Then look at what it says. Again, verse 15, Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope, 
when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. So what is, what is he saying? God has used a bunch of laborers, but I hope that God uses us to see you serve God abundantly. All right, look at the next verse. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So how are we supposed to use our gifts? For God's glory. For God's glory. Recognizing that He has gifted us. That's why it's important to identify your spiritual gift. Recognize that He has given you something to do. Don't be proud of that. Be thankful. Hey, God, you've got something for me to do. Now I've got to go do it. And then be thankful for what God does in other people's lives. Many of you have heard me say this. I'm so thankful that God brought Ed Bermond to our church because he's a, he is, has that gift of the giver. He's very good with the church budget. He understands those things much better than I do. So what I, I'm thankful that he's here. I'm thankful for that. God brought that to us. Amen? Ty Blackford. Where's Ty? Ty Blackford. He has those same gifts, and it's so helpful. We'll be talking about money, right? And, and Doug and I, we're talking about what it's going to take to do this. And these guys, they already know what the numbers are. They're in their head. Okay, so if we do this, how many? Well, 27 times, that's going to be 475,000. Okay, thanks. <laughs> right? And, and so God brings those gifts. And then we have the servants, uh, Doug and Denver, to, to serve and to understand the ministry aspect of those things. Praise God. Which of those is more important? They're, they're all vital. They're all vital. Um, okay, so now. Oh, let me just explain to you the way deacons' meeting goes. I, um, we begin with prayer. Uh, in the meeting, we talk about where we all are spiritually, how the church is doing. Um, we look at the budget. We look at things that need to be accomplished. I get input from the men. And Pastor Nathan is in there because he's our organizer. He's the one who's going to put it all in the computer and see who's doing what and, and follow through on all of that. What's happening there? You have all the different giftedness in place there to help the ministry grow. It's fantastic. I love it. All right, now, so, oh, let me say this. When it comes to this glory, God getting the glory, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 4, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Do your part, and God will give you rejoicing in your part. There's nothing better than when you finish and you say, I did my part well. Thank you, Lord. There's a great feeling of accomplishment in that. Um, Nathan, Arling, uh, you're linebacker? Is that what you play? Linebacker. He, he had an interception for a touchdown. That was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and what, when you get done, it's not, look what I did. It's, I helped the team. I, I did something good to help us win. Did you win? Okay. So I did something. The other conversation in the barbershop was um, this guy had just come in from his, they had four- and five-year-old basketball. And he was talking about how they don't keep score. And this other guy in the chair says, I don't like that. I don't like that. What's, what's the point of playing if you don't keep score? And this guy said, well, you know, what are you going to teach him by that? You know, I said, hey, four-year-old is a good time to find out whether or not you're a loser. <laughs> um, 
winning is important in life. All right, so on this idea of glory, on this idea of glory, it might be a good time to find out that you're not a basketball player. Do something else with your life. Amen? All right. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God didn't give you gifts to bring you glory. He gave you gifts to bring Him glory and to bring other people to Christ. Okay, so now, let's get to the gift of the prophet. Gift of prophecy. Um, I even said it wrong. Go back to Romans. I want you to see something. Romans chapter 12. Gift of prophecy. Romans 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Oh, I've got to say this. This was one of my points that I skipped. Notice what it says here. Gifts differing according to the grace of God. You're not supposed to look at that other person's gift and say, I wish I had that. It's God's grace that you don't have that. You know, it could be that if you had another gift that you'd ruin your life or someone else's life with it. God gifted you with the gifts you have for a reason. It's the grace of God. All right? Then, so look at this. Look at the gift of prophecy. It says, whether, in the middle of verse 6, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. What is the gift of prophecy? What is this? Um, Notice the word. It's not prophet. It's prophecy. uh, A prophet, that's an office in the church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. That's an office. Prophecy is a gift. There's a difference. Never between an office and a gift. Now, we looked at the office of the prophet last week. Now, notice the parameters of the prophecy. Look at what it says. In verse 6 again, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. According to the proportion of faith. Now, if you have a different translation, it might say according to the proportion of his faith. That word's not in any, there's not, that, that his, it's not in any manuscript. It's the proportion of faith. What is the proportion of faith? It's the faith once delivered to the saints. It's, it's the word of God. All right? So now when we saw what the Bible says in uh, Romans 12, where we're supposed to not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be able to judge everything by the word of God. The person with the gift of prophecy is going to make sure that whatever is done in the church is in agreement with the Word of God. That's what prophecy is about. That's what it's about. See, it's not... It's very important. Here, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The content for the prophet came directly from God because the Bible had not yet been written. Prophecy must be limited to the proportion of faith, which is the Word of God. So now when someone has the gift of prophecy, I'm not getting something from God outside of the Word of God. I am looking at the Bible and telling that to someone else. And this is where this becomes very important. The gift of prophecy is not the ability to understand. It's the ability to speak. And this is where I think this distinction will help. When we had this, this platform full of people 
who had checked all of those things about prophecy, one of the things that we had neglected to conclude in our test is this. I am incapable of remaining silent when the truth is attacked. The example is when I was in, I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, I was in Philadelphia. I was at the Liberty Bell. And they were showing this movie, but it wasn't liberty for all. And it was all about slavery and how bad America is. About 40 people in the room. I stood up and said, we freed them. We're the good guys. We did give liberty. We're the good guys. And people did this first, you know. Does he have a gun? (laughs) And then they clapped, started applauding. Why? Because everybody's sitting there thinking, this is dumb. How many of you understand slavery is bad? Right? How many of you are glad we freed the slaves? Okay, let's get on with our lives. I mean, to, to define all of American history by slavery is to impugn all of the history of the world. Again, it's just an attack on Western civilization. But what is the point? The point's not a history lesson. The point is I couldn't stay silent. I had to say, that's the gift of prophecy. Now, how many of you understand that if that's not under the rule of the Holy Spirit, that could be a problem? Right? So the gift of prophecy is not a person who has been taught and loves the truth, although that's vital to prophesy according to proportion of faith. It's the yearning to speak. Remember, there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Prophesying is a speaking gift where you will speak the Word of God. Um, let's see. Let's look at the characteristics of the person who has the gift of prophecy. They have a strong need to express themselves verbally. Verbally. Um, Believers with this gift are likely to be the very first to speak in any situation. They're just going to speak up. They're going to say something. Now, that doesn't mean that they're the only people in the room who know the answer. They're just the ones who are going to talk first. Um, They rise and state their feelings, particularly when they observe some act of injustice. One of the things that goes along with the prophet, it's a strong feeling of right and wrong. A strong feeling of right and wrong. Not a lot of grays, black and white. This is right, this is wrong. You disagree with me, you're an idiot. Okay, that's the, that's the overwhelming feeling that comes from the person with the gift of the prophet. Now, um, Peter is an, is an example of a person with the gift of prophecy. Who was always the first, pro- the first of the disciples to speak? Peter. And remember, as he was immature, that was developing. You know, the old joke is, um, ready, shoot, aim. You know, that's Peter. He didn't know what to say, so he said it. That's, that's the prophet. And that, 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 that gift of prophecy, like all the other gifts, it must be nurtured and developed according to the proportion of the faith. Okay? Um, those with this gift don't necessarily speak publicly, but they often give counsel. Okay? So let's make a very clear distinction. Okay? We talked about how God enabled me to speak publicly. That's something I didn't have to develop. I just had that. God gave that to me. That's not, that's not necessarily the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is the ability to say the right thing, to say the important thing, to say the necessary thing. 
So in a discipleship relationship, one of the things in our discipleship meetings that we talk about is how many of you struggle when you have to challenge your disciple with an area in their life that needs correction? Now, how many of you would say, man, that's really hard for me to do? Would you raise your hand? How many of you would say, I'll be that man. I got it. I remember uh, when I was in high school, this guy had to break up with this girl that he was dating, so he asked me to do it for him. And Doug was the guy's name, not, not you. And so I did it very gently. I said, hey, Doug said take a hike. And it's interesting. How many of you think that that was probably not the best way to handle that? Yes, I needed to nurture my gift. Um, the, the person with the gift of prophecy doesn't struggle with telling people what's necessary to hear. That's not hard. That's not hard. Now, how, seriously, how many of you believe that's necessary for the church? We have to have that, okay? Then, um, oh, those with this gift don't necessarily speak publicly, but they often give counsel then. They tell us exactly what we should do. Then they check with us to see if we did it. Because this gift of prophecy is not only putting out the information, it's caring about what happens with that information. It's not a love to speak, it's a love to speak and see the truth carried out. Um, the gift of prophecy is the ability to make quick impressions, to discern quick impressions of people. Just quick. Then um, it's the strong ability to discern the character and motives of other people. The character and motives of other people. Uh, you, know, you know that there are some people, they're, they're gullible. Right? I, there was that, I used to do that when I was in college. I'd say to a girl, hey, did you know the word gullible is not in the dictionary? And she'd go, really? <laughs> you guys are going to use that, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, those with the gift of the teacher or the prophet, that's not going to happen. You know, the person with the gift of the teacher is not buying a lemon because they've got the car facts. You know, they know everything about that deal. They're going to check it all out. Um, other people, you know, this car was driven back and forth to church by a little old lady. How many of you have heard that, right? Oh, I want that car. Different giftedness, different giftedness. The gift of the prophet, gift of the teacher, discerning in those type of areas. Then, um, this one's very important. Wholehearted involvement in whatever they're doing. So the person with the gift of prophecy, there's no halfway. When they get into it, it's everything. You know, I'll give you an example. We're going to get chairs here for the auditorium. How many of you recognize we're going to get chairs? Here's what Jim Alter has to do. It's time to redo the whole building. <laughs> do this, might as well just do everything. That's the, that's, Pastor Nathan? Yeah. It's, that's, you're just going to dive into it wholeheartedly. Um, and that's a good thing. Think about Peter. You know, who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached? It was Peter. Ye men of Israel. And what did he do? He challenged them about not receiving Christ, not believing that he was the Messiah. Uh, how about wholeheartedly diving in? Uh, yeah, I'll walk on water. <laughs> Whatever. That's, that's the prophet. That's the prophet. And one of the problems of the prophet is you dive in without really considering everything that's going to follow. Yeah, I got this. I can do this. Um, wholeheartedly. Then, um, 
Oh, very open about their own faults. And then very open to correction. Because they're committed to obeying God's word, these believers are willing to be shown their spiritual shortcomings. They enjoy seeing righteousness in the lives of others, but they want to see it in their own lives as well. Therefore, they're dedicated to doing the right thing. Think about when Peter, um, Jesus said, throw, the, the time for fishing was past. Throw out your nets on this side of the boat. Lord, we've already done that. There's no fish. Just, just do it. All right. Can't you just picture him? Whatever. <laughs> and he threw the net in. What happened? He pulled out this great drought or draft, however you say it, of fish. And what, was, what did Peter say? He didn't say, Shazam, look at all them fish. <laughs> he said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Very quick to acknowledge his own weakness, his own sin. It's interesting. That's the prophet. Um, then, extremely loyal to truth and to those who teach it. In marriage, among their children or parents, in any other setting, believers with the gift of prophecy always show loyalty. One of the things that, it's interesting, the person with the gift of prophecy can point out the sin in somebody, but never want to see them go. Always want to be there to help. It's an interesting thing. Um, then, you know, where other people, other people who see that something wrong with them, they're done. You're dead to me. Okay? It's an interesting thing. Then, Jesus once asked his disciples if they were going to desert him, if they were going to go away. What did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I'm with you. I'm with you. Then, um, willingness to suffer for what is right. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.14, but, but, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And then they're persuasive in defining truth. Persuasive in defining truth. All, that, this is the gift of prophecy. And it's not, remember, it's not the ability to discern truth only. It's the, it's the um, you can't not say it. You have to say it. Now, along with that giftedness, how many of you can see there's great room for abuse in that gift? And I would say that in my own life, the abuses have been very, very apparent. And that's the thing that God works on me. One of the things God works on me the most about. And this is why the, the Holy Spirit, that's why we're supposed to, to yield our bodies a living sacrifice. Because remember, when that gift is in you, you have to do it. And that's why it had better be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, the person with the gift of the prophecy, if it's not under the, the, the control of the Holy Spirit, hey, uh, Pastor, you, you see this girl? I'm thinking about asking her. I mean, she's ugly. Can't you do better than that? And all the mercy people said, oh, Hey, but look, everybody knows it. You guys don't just say it. See the difference? All right, now. Um, 
abuses. What are some common misunderstandings about the gift of prophecy? Those with the gift of prophecy are often seen as being intolerant because of their strong sense of right and wrong. Right? They're eager, or they're thought to be poor listeners because they're so eager to proclaim the truth. Somebody's telling you, you know, they're telling you something that's going on in their life, and they're not even done. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. Here, let me tell you what you're supposed to do. And they're not even done telling you. In marriage relationships, it's difficult because the wife is explaining something to you, and you're going you're to fix it. Hey, I got this. And they just want to talk. So these are abuses that you have to be very careful of. You have to make sure that you're able to listen. Um, their frankness may be viewed as harshness, and their interest in the whole group may be misinterpreted as a lack of interest in a particular individual. So here's what the person with the gift of mercy does. The prophet stands up and says, Look, we've got too much problem with welfare and food stamps in this country. The person with the gift of mercy, Well, what about the person who needs it? And the person with the gift of prophecy is saying, Of course there's people who need it. We just have a problem with people abusing the system. But what do we need? We need the people who are willing to take care of those who really do need help. Amen? But here's where the gift of prophecy comes in. I'll give you an example. In the medical care, we have all of this, you know, Affordable Care Act stuff that's going on. And now you understand that in a single-payer system, which is where the government wants to go, to where everybody gives a certain amount of their income toward health care, and then everyone has access to that health care. That's what a single-payer system is. You all understand that? Okay. The only problem with that is it doesn't work because there are only a limited number of doctors. There's only a limited number of appointments available. There's only a limited number of resources available, only a limited number of x-ray machines, hospital beds, MRI machines. Uh, there's only a limited number of those things. So it has to be administered properly. So here's the problem. Now, that's, that, that is the problem, all right? You'll have a prophet, a person who is black and white, sees a problem, they have a solution. There's a guy, Ezekiel Emanuel. He's Ram Emanuel's brother. He's a, um, a, a medical doctor, but he's, he speaks on medical ethics and writes on medical ethics. And basically what he says is we need the complete lives system. That's what he calls it. So people from 15 to 40 are the valuable people. Those before 15, they haven't really had that much invested in them. They've not matured. And those who are over 40, they're beginning to have physical problems and they're just going to be a drain on society. The people that, we, that need to get the bulk of the care are between 15 and 40. Now, there might be a math person sitting in here saying, yeah, it makes sense to me. Most people, are, especially Christians, are thinking, that sounds like Nazi Germany. What's the difference? What's the difference? See, here, the person with the gift of prophecy, and that's, that's what God has given me, I look at that and I judge it according to the proportion of the faith. You care for the poor. You care for the weak. You help the widows. You help the infirmed. Right? Why? Because every life has value because they were created by God. So uh, the, the whole idea of are they valuable to society, are they productive, that has nothing to do with whether or not we're going to save their lives. Right? The black and white person without the Word of God says, 
they're just they're just non-productive eaters. Now you need to understand that's what's going on in the world right now. That's the discussion that's going on in the world right now. This this Ezekiel Emanuel is President Obama's advisor on this subject. So this is where we are. And that's why the prophet must prophesy according to the proportion of the faith. When a person sees things the way the prophet does, when they're away from the scriptures, all that can lead to is abuse because it will only be self-interest. Um, here's another abuse. Because they find new methods of accomplishment, they're accused of using gimmicks. Hey, let's just do this. There's a problem. Let's fix it. Let's do this. Let's try this. Let's try this. They end up starting a lot of things and not seeing them through. Then these believers focus on their personal decision and accuse and accuse others of neglecting spiritual growth. I'll give you something that's a, that's a hard thing for a prophet. Once you see something, you're mad at everybody else who hasn't seen it yet. Right? And so that's an abuse. Then... Finally, their public boldness and strict standards can hinder them from experiencing intimate personal relationships, fellowship. All right, so let's quickly, problems exposing without restoring, jumping to conclusions, reacting harshly to sinners, being unforgiving, condemning themselves, being impetuous like like Peter, acting quickly without thought, cutting off people who fall, lacking tactfulness and rebuke, and dwelling on the negative. Those are all things that can happen to the person who has the gift of the prophet. Now, remember, the, the part that I want to talk about that's really important, those of you who have the gift of the prophet, when you know you're not doing right, you'll stop serving God because you're not worthy of it. You can't do that. What did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to send him, go get Peter. Go tell Peter. Go after him. Go. He's still profitable for the ministry. I want to use him. I'm not done with you, Peter. So we have to be very careful of those things. But this gift of the prophet, remember, it's not the office of the prophet. It's the gift of prophecy, and it must be done according to the proportion of the faith. Now, it's very interesting. God usually chooses someone who has the gift of prophecy to be a leader in the ministry. Almost always. Almost always. And yet, there are many other people in the ministry who love the truth as much, if not more, than that prophet does. And so we have to value all of those things, but understanding this gift of prophecy is vital. Now, how many of you would say, I came up here and said, I have the gift of prophecy, but I'm not the one to speak first. Think about that. So that's where you need to go to that second thing that you scored high on. So let me answer this question. Why then did so many people score high on it? Because we at Grace Baptist Church, we emphasize the truth. We love the truth. Amen? You've grown in that area. You love the truth. But you might need to grow in speaking the truth. Being able, capable, ready to speak the truth. If you have that gift, be careful of the abuse. Be careful of abusing it. Don't say anything. If you feel like you need to correct somebody, you make sure. Let your words be always of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. See, that's how the gift of the prophet has to be reined in. All right, so what's the point of the gifts? The point of the gifts is to bring glory to God through speaking and serving. That's the point of the gifts. If you have the gift of prophecy, are you speaking out for the Lord or are you using that gift simply to comment on politics, the culture? Are you speaking the scriptures? 
The gift of prophecy is not to get you elected to office. The gift of the prophet is to edify the church, to teach people the Word of God, and to teach those who are not good speakers how to speak for the Lord, to model that. Because, how many of you, let, let's do this, how many of you would say, I don't like speaking up. Would you raise your hand? Come on, be honest. How many of you don't like raising your hand? All right, hold, hold them up. Come on, raise them up, big and high. Come on, big and high. Now everybody look around. Everybody look around. Look, the people that give to the prophet, we're supposed to help them. We're supposed to help them do that. No, it's not this. Who had their hand up right here? Is it you, Sarah? Sarah, you need to talk. That's not the way to do it. That's not it. That's not it. It's very important that we understand that we're here to love and help and encourage and edify one another until we all come together in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word.